0: Hi, guys. Um, My name is Ben Geiger. I'm the lead campus minister here. Um, If I don't know you, I would love to get to know you. So please come introduce yourself. I will try to introduce myself at some point. We are glad you're here. Um, Is IU going to beat Ohio State this weekend? Yeah! There's a yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump in. So let's pray together. Jesus. In a world that does not believe in you, please help us believe in you. And um, you are the key to everything our hearts truly long for. Forgive us for the cheap imitations that we settle for and that we get duped about. But Lord, I pray that this is a place where your Holy Spirit will start restoring and regenerating souls. And so um, I just pray. I know you're already here, and we just ask that you come even more so. More and more power. um, Just speak to us. Open our eyes to who you truly are. And Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So tonight I'm going to start out by discussing probably this is the number one thing I have talked with young adults about over the past probably four or five years. So before I started here, I was a college minister at a church for about five years. And once again, this is probably the number one thing I have talked with young adults about. Okay, And this is it right here. There is a difference between doubting God's character and doubting God's methodology. Okay? i say that again. That's kind of that first big main point. There's a difference between doubting God's character and doubting his methodology. Okay? So God's character is who he is. It's what he's truly like. It's what he's composed of. God's methodology has to do with how he does things. Okay, so when we doubt God's methodology, it might look something like this. God, how did you let that happen? Why did you let that happen? Or why did you do that? Or maybe it's, God, why didn't you do that? Why is my life playing out this way, God? Or that doesn't make sense God, you should have done things that way, okay? Doubting God's methodology. Now, doubting God's methodology is a given, okay? It's a given. Bottom line is, it's going to happen. Every single one of us does it and has done it. All those questions I just listed, those are honest questions, okay? And those aren't just questions I hear all the time. Those are questions I've asked myself. And guess what? Jesus Christ cares about those questions. I guarantee it. When you doubt his methodology, I guarantee you he he cares about those scenarios. And in his patience and in his kindness, I know Jesus wants to lovingly walk through those situations and those questions with you. I know that. But doubting God's methodology isn't the same as doubting his character. But here's the thing. We all doubt God's character too, right? If we've asked God, are you really holy? Or God, there's no way you're truly good. So we all doubt God's character and we all doubt his methodology. But here's the thing, right? truly getting to know him should be eliminating doubts but something that will truly help us in that process is understanding when it comes to these things guys God's character has to come first our doubts our doubts regarding who he is have to be addressed before we try to tackle all of our doubts regarding his methodology but we usually get that backwards In fact, I personally believe one of evil's greatest tactics is that it is trying with all of its might to get us so lost in our doubts regarding God's methodology that we never address or are even aware of our doubts regarding God's character. But once again, repetition is key. God's character, who he is, is way more important and how he does things. If you struggle with that, if you struggle with the fact that his character is way more important than his methodology, I get that. I understand that I can relate to that. Nevertheless, it is backwards to make God answer our questions on his methodology before we can answer his questions regarding his character. It's so tempting to say, God, until you make this work out this way, I'm sorry, I just can't trust you. I can't trust your character, when we should be saying, God, because I know you, because I know how good you are, because I trust your character, I'm ready for however this plays out. And so I told you, I want this, last week we talked about this, I want this to be a ministry, CSF, to be a place where the souls of college students are truly getting to know Jesus, not just knowing about him. This is a place where students are truly getting to know who Jesus Christ truly is. And that starts with his character. If you remember last week, we looked at that story where the disciples were in the middle of the storm with Jesus. And he was sleeping, right? And what did they want? They wanted the storm to stop. That was the methodology that they wanted to unfold. So they woke Jesus. And they got what they wanted. God gave them the exact methodology that I'm sure they wanted that they had predetermined, right? They woke him. What did he do? God calmed the storm, so they got exactly what they wanted. And what happened? It said they had a whole new degree of fear. Why? Because they said, who can control the wind and the waves? The goodness of God obliterated their current understanding of, oh, God's methodology, that's all that matters to me. But it was his goodness that just blew that out of the water. So the goodness, we have to start with the character of God. And if we do, I know this will be a place that the Spirit fills, and you guys will be students that he sets on fire to change this world for his glory and to his kingdom. So, And our honest pursuit of wanting that, I'm going to ask for your guys' help, okay? Um, When I was your age, if someone asked me to do a survey, I simply just wouldn't have done it. Unless, unless I understood the heart behind it and I trusted whoever was asking. Now, you might not trust me because you don't know me very well, but hopefully you can understand the heart behind this. Like, we genuinely want this to be a place where we are pursuing God's character ahead of everything else. And I truly believe this survey will help. So if you don't mind, it will only take a minute. So if you guys can scan that QR code, it will take you. And here's a couple of things. These can be anonymous. If you want to, like, we're going to try to use this to try and track spiritual growth, which sounds weird to say. But if you kind of want us to help you keep track of yours, you can give your name. But please, that is not, we, that is not expected. This can remain completely anonymous. You do not have to write your name in. Um, Also, the only wrong answer is an unhonest answer, okay? A lot of times when spiritual stuff's thrown at us, right, we try try to say the right thing. But, like, please, the right answer is just be honest as you go through these. Um, The first one might seem kind of general, just, like, ranking your spiritual health. Um, It's supposed to be very general, okay? Don't overanalyze that, like, when you hear that term, how would you rank yourself? Um, so once again, sounds general, supposed to be. Um, and then also, there's one more about how often do you stay in communication with God? We were gonna say prayer, but then a lot of people, when you hear prayer, we think like meditating. Or when we say communication with God, like how often are you intentionally thinking about Him throughout the day? That can just be praising Him as you love the weather. That could be intentionally asking Him for Him for things through prayer. That could just be thanking Him as you enjoy your meal. So anyways, I'll give you, sorry, I'll be quiet. Couple, like, Take a minute or two and please fill that out. Last thing, there is a section like a comment section at the end. Please, if there's anything we can do to help bless you in your spiritual journey or help you get to know God more, like, we want to know. So, Or even thoughts on this ministry, things we can do better. That's what that section's for. Okay, if you need to, keep going. I'm gonna jump back in Um, And once again, thank you for helping us with that. Um, We will explain. We're going to use this throughout the entire upcoming year. In fact, we're going to take this again. Um, But we will explain more and more the heart behind this as the year continues. Um, But back to kind of what we were originally talking about. It all starts with the character of God. Okay? And so that's obviously where we need to start. We need to start with the character of God, and so over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at God's character. And so I'm going to start us off tonight, and starting out, there's one thing that I think is very important to point out before we jump into this, all right? If God is real, if God is real, then in order for us to know he's real, he would have to initiate. He would have to take the first step. If that makes sense. Because if God is truly worthy of the term God, that means he's superior to us, right? He's bigger, he's stronger, he's smarter, okay? And if that being exists, if God is real, we don't get to dictate who he is on our terms. That just doesn't make sense. That's contradictory, right? If God is real, we would be at his mercy as to whether or not we truly know him. He would have to take the first step. All that to say, if God is real, he would have to come to us, okay? I feel like that's common sense, but we live in a world that has somehow convinced itself it gets to control the idea of God. Just so you guys know, that shouldn't make sense. So God would have to come to us, and that is exactly what the one true God did. He came to us many times. I'm going to read you an account of one of the times that the one true God came to humanity. Okay? This is in the Old Testament. And God comes and he visits a man named Moses. So I'm just going to read a couple quick verses. These are the verses that we're going to kind of be in for the next couple weeks. Um, So this is Exodus chapter 34, verses 4 through 6. It says, Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. Remember the Ten Commandments? The first time Moses got them, he came down, and God's people were already worshiping another idol. And in his anger, right, broke the tablets. Well, here he is. He has to get round two. Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. He went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him, and he proclaimed in his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, the one true God, passed in front of Moses, and he proclaimed. So here is God talking about himself. What does he say? He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So, once again, to truly know God, he has to tell us who he is. He has to show us who he is, show us his character. We don't get to project onto him who we think he ought to be or who we might want him to be. God reveals himself to us, and we take him at his word. And so in this passage, that's what he does. He tells us who he is. And so... Once again, we're going to take five weeks and look at each word he uses to describe himself. So tonight, we're going to look at the first word, which was compassionate. Good job, guys. Okay, so the one true God is compassionate. Now, what does that actually mean? And so let's start by looking at the English definition. We're going to look at the English definition because that's the language we speak. I'm going to take one point out of that, and then we're going to go to that word, the actual Hebrew word for compassion in the verse. But the English definition of compassion is this. It is sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. All right? So with that in mind, I want to point out something that I believe is very important to compassion. When it comes to compassion, I think there can be different degrees of it. We can have different degrees of compassion. I think the purest form of compassion, or at least that has been revealed to me so far, includes both, right? This is the important part. I think it's on this. The purest form of compassion includes acknowledgement of the current situation and, the and, I really want to emphasize that and, and genuine faith. And when I say genuine faith, Like, a lot of times we hide behind the word faith, but when I say genuine faith, I mean like confidence and understanding in the intended situation, and the intended situation is the best situation, all right? So, the purest form of compassion acknowledges not just the person you have compassion for, not just their current situation, but it takes into account what was the intended situation Supposed to be. So if we go back to the definition, compassion is sympathy for someone who is pitied, someone who is suffering, or someone who is misfortunate. But let me ask you guys why do we know what pity is? Right? Why would we want suffering to stop? What gives us credibility to diagnose a situation as misfortunate? If any of those, in any of those situations, pity, suffering, misfortune, what creates sympathy in those situations? Like why? And it's because our hearts long for the good, holy, opposite situation, whatever it might be, because to have sympathy for someone who is pitied shouldn't be just to disagree with their current situation. That's part of it. Sometimes you have to start there. But if there's someone who you pity, you don't just want their current situation to end. You should want a situation where they are dignified. To sympathize when you see suffering isn't to just want the suffering to stop. Can you actually offer what true healing is? We can recognize misfortune, and in our gut, we know it's wrong, but that still doesn't prove we know what it means to be truly fortunate. And so compassion, true compassion, doesn't just acknowledge and seek to end a wrong situation. True compassion actually helps lead someone into the corresponding opposite reality, the healthy situation. And I think like that's going to sound right, Like, that's going to sound right, right? uh, But we still need to be careful because anyone's going to sit here and be like, yeah, if I see someone in a bad situation, obviously I want the best for them. But it's one thing to know it up here. And I think we just need to be careful because how do we know if in our effort, even if it's well intended, how do we know if in our effort to help someone who is oppressed, we aren't simply just leading them into a new form of oppression? How do we know? And so I want, you to, I want you to hold on to this right here. The quality of compassion, I believe the quality of compassion will ultimately be gauged not by what we're rescued from, but by what we're rescued to. Now, don't get me wrong. Rescuing people from situations, that's important. Stopping injustice is good, but that doesn't mean you know what true justice is. Okay, the quality of your compassion will ultimately be gauged not by what we rescue people from, it's what we rescue people to. So keep that in mind. I'm going to come back to that, but let's go to the definition of compassion in that actual verse in Scripture. Okay, so that was um, verse six. Remember, Jesus or God describing himself says, The Lord, the Lord. The compassionate and gracious God. So the Hebrew word for compassion here is rahum. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I'm trying. Rahum. Okay? And we don't have time to watch this. I kind of thought about it, but we don't have time. Bible Project is an incredible resource. If you guys go to bibleproject.com, man, so much great stuff on God's word and on scripture. Uh, They have a video on this Hebrew word for compassion. And I'm going to pull a couple things from it real quick. All right? So first thing. The noun and verb form of that word for compassion are related to the Hebrew word for womb. Okay, and so a lot of what that word meant in its original context has to do with the imagery around a mother's love for her vulnerable child. Okay, so to build on top of that, that word for compassion has to do with strong, intense feelings and emotions. Once again, like a mother for her child, but also just anyone and the object of their compassion. Okay, but we got to take it a step beyond that. Not only does that word convey the strong emotions and feelings, this word implies action in regards or out of an overflow of those feelings. It's not just the feelings, it's the action that follows those feelings. That have the best interest of those who are in need of compassion. In fact, when it comes to the Old Testament, that word is most often used in regards to God's action on behalf of rescuing His people. Okay, the majority of that time, ta- the majority of the times in Scripture, that word for compassion is used. It's in reference to God taking action and trying to rescue His people. So, a couple things to take away, real quick, and then we'll wrap up just like a mother plays a role in the creation of her child, God plays the ultimate role in the creation of you. And just like a mother has an extreme love for her child, your heavenly Father has a love for you that is so much more. And His love for you includes intense feelings and emotions. He is a personal God, but ultimately God's love for you is proven through His actions. And remember, once again, the majority of the times that word is used, it's in reference to God taking action to rescue his people. So, please hear this. Compassion at its core wants to rescue people. But true compassion, at least the purest form, isn't about what people are rescued from. It's about what people are what? rescued too. Thank you. And we're great at talking about rescuing people from things, right? We're we're great at jumping on injustice. And once again, I'm not downplaying it. That is important. But I believe the purity of our compassion will ultimately be gauged by what can we offer on the other end? What can we offer on the other end? And so this is where I'm going to ask you guys, you guys get to test your faith in God's character. So I'm going to summarize real quick. If you truly want to know God, you have to start with examining what you truly believe about his character. If you just find yourself talking about his methodology, maybe you're avoiding some deeper doubts. What do you believe about his character? One of the things that he tells us about himself and his character is that he is compassionate. And so do you believe that God is compassionate? But when you ask yourself that question, take into account true compassion isn't what it rescues you from. It's about what it brings you into. Because tons of people hate their current situations, but can they speak to what God wants to pull them and introduce them into? So with all that in mind, here's two things, and then we'll close. First thing is a quote by C.S. Lewis, okay? If I teach, sorry, I'm always gonna quote C.S. Lewis. But here's one of his quotes. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, guess what? There is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. But then he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Okay? Now, with that in mind, I want to read you guys... This is a Facebook post from about two or three years ago, okay? This was a good friend of mine who's a Christian, believes in Jesus, and he was having a conversation with an atheist, okay? I know you're not going to be able to see it. I'm going to read it. I just wanted you guys to have proof that it was there, okay? (laughs) So my two friends were going back and forth, and the one friend was offended because the atheist used the term sky wizard to refer to our God who we believe is true and real. And so he says something to his buddy, like, hey, that's offensive. Please don't call my God Sky Wizard. All right? But here's the buddy's response. You ready? He says, hey, Sky Wizard isn't a bad description of God. That's how a lot of people view God, as this old human-like figure with a long white beard and a white robe and the power of magic or miracles, and he does what he wants. This is what I really want you to hear, right? This is his next sentence. He says, Obviously, we don't know what a God would look like, considering one has never presented itself to humanity through recorded history. I'm going to read that one more time. He said, obviously, we don't know what a God would look like considering one has never presented itself to humanity through recorded history. Just so you know, this kid grew up in church. This kid went to youth group pretty much every week through his high school, middle school, high school years, okay? The crazy thing was, two days after that whole conversation happened online, I was at the church I served at. And I taught a young adult class. And after the class, one of the young adults came up to me, and he wasn't a believer. But he was seeking. He had questions. So afterwards, he's talking to me. He's got a bunch of questions. We talked for like an hour. And we're kind of going in circles. And so I kind of just get to a point where I'm like, hey, can I just pray for you? And he said, yeah, please. So I'm praying for him. And I said, Lord, you know, thank you for this guy. I'm praying for his life. But at one point in the conversation, I said, God, thank you for becoming a human and showing us what this was actually all about. And showing us that you're real. And then I just kept praying. I kept praying. I said a couple other things. And I said amen. And then he had another question for me. We talked for like 15 more minutes. But then like 15 minutes into that part of the conversation, he stopped me out of nowhere. Stopped me cold. And he said, hold up, hold up. I got to ask you a question. It's been gnawing at me inside. He said, "Um, back when you prayed, you thanked God for becoming a human. He said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Just so you know, he grew up in the church. (laughs) That kid grew up in a youth group, going to it a lot. And so this is the chance that you guys have to test your faith in God's character. The first thing he tells us is that he's compassionate. But compassion isn't about rescuing you from something. It's about what can you actually rescue you to. And in the words of Lewis, guys, we were not created for this world. That should be common sense as well. Look around. We were not created for this world. What were we created for? Well, we can't know. We're too inferior. If there is something else, it would have to come to us. And guys, there's too many people who would post things like that on Facebook who say, oh, well, throughout the recorded history of humanity, God never revealed himself to us. Yes, he did. Ultimately, it's your decision. I can't make it for you. My plea is, yes, he did. Jesus Christ came to us. He came to us from that world, that world we're ultimately created for, that world where the one true God reigns supreme. And he reigns supreme here, but he's respecting our free will here. And so we have too much control and we do too much damage with it okay? Compassion is about what are we rescued to? And one day, I believe everyone's going to look the one true God in the eye, and he's going to say, I rescued you to this. And will you see it for what it is? What did he rescue us to? Jesus. Jesus came here. He is the proof of compassion. If you want to figure out what you believe about God's character. Start with his compassion. Pray through that. Think through that this week. And the evidence of whether or not you believe God's compassion is real, remember, the quality of your compassion is what you can ultimately offer. God says, I offer you Jesus. Well, if you don't believe in Jesus, well, then yeah, throw his compassion out the window. However, if Jesus is real, that is the ultimate form of compassion. I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, please come talk to me because I want it to make sense. Okay, I'm going to pray for it. And then... um, They're going to come up and close us out in worship. Jesus, there are too many people that would get on a social media platform or just say in passing conversation that God never revealed himself to us. May this be a place that knows that's a lie. May this be a place that knows the truth. God, you are superior. You are beyond us. You exist in a place that is so beautiful and so wonderful. You came from that place. You entered our mess, and you showed us that you are compassionate. And that is the compassion this world needs. We settle for a compassion where all we can focus on is our temporary trouble, and we, we want to help people get out of the muck, but we're not humble enough to see we have nothing to offer on the other side. It's going from one disaster to the next. And so Jesus, yes, help us believe in you so that we can truly experience compassion for what it is. And I pray this in your name, Jesus, amen.